the wrong button. I'm sorry. <coughs> just making, just making sure everyone's awake. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace that you've extended to us. For it's a love and a grace that's allowed us to be here today. And you have mercifully granted us that we would wake up today and be able to experience life afresh and anew today. Thank you for the picture that we've already seen through Brett's testimony. Thank you, Lord, for how you're working in his life and working in the life of our congregation. And Lord, we pray that today you would see fit to bless your people. Lord, that you would bless our time together, that you would speak to us through your word. And we ask, God, that you would give us clarity and and understanding. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would apply your word to our lives. And so, Lord, may our lives be the canvas upon which your word falls today, that that it's ready and, and willing to apply the truth of your word and even the commands of your word into our daily living. And let it be done, Father, for your glory, by the power of your Holy Spirit. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The text this morning is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We'll be taking a break today uh, from the Gospel of John. And one of the reasons that we're taking a break today from the Gospel of John is is because uh, we want to highlight just the role and the character of deacons within the church. But specifically, uh, specifically, we want to to speak to uh, just the, the beginning of the deacon ministry. And so uh, just as we begin this morning, just for everybody's uh, ability just to view, I, I want to ask the deacons, if, if you're in here, some of them are serving in other places this morning, but if you're in here, I'm going to ask you to be uncomfortable for a minute and just stand where you are. I want to get our deacons to stand. All right, so you, you see our deacons that are in here. There are others who are serving across the campus. Thank you, brothers. You may be seated. <clears throat> And I I ask our deacons to stand because I I think it's important that we as a congregation know who the deacons are among the body. We're able to visually see them and and know that these are men that that we as a congregation uh, have have elected and and, and said we we believe that these men meet the qualifications of what Scripture outlines to be a deacon. And so what I'd like us to do this morning is walk through Acts chapter 6 and and see we have... uh, we have two other deacons who are walking in in the back, so uh, just our deacons are, are tremendous servants in the body and so thankful for their ministry, uh, so thankful for their ministry. And so I, I want us to see as we look at this text how the, the deacon ministry uh, began and then what we are to do, how we are to see the qualifications of, of deacons lived out in the church. And, and so my, my prayer is that and my hope is that we would have men rise up who are who are desiring to serve in in this way that men and women also would be uh, exhorted to live holy lives and so while this text is kind of it, it's directed toward those men who would serve in the role of deacon it is by no means it's by no means an exclusion of what Christ would call us as individual believers to live and model in our own lives so it's a call to holy living. 
It's a call to living faithfully and following Christ. And before I read this text, I just wanted to say, throughout the New Testament, we see two offices that are established within the early church. And one office is the office of elder, or also called overseer, or also called pastor. Three different New Testament Greek words describe those three those three titles, but they're all used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. And so we see that as one office, elder, overseer, or bishop, or, or pastor. And so that's one office. The second office is deacon, and it's the, the title that we have. It, it, it comes from a specific noun that's used in this text and also used in First Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. But this morning, I, I want us to see these characteristics uh, from and, and the role and, and, and the calling and the, uh, the, the need for deacons in their service to the body of Christ. So, the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. If you found your place there, uh, let me hear you say amen. Follow along as I read. Now, at, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation, that's the twelve apostles. They summoned the congregation of disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The book of Acts is a tremendous narrative on the early church and the the beginnings of the early church and how the early church was formed. And I I absolutely love reading through Acts. And there's so much that we could speak to just from this particular passage today. And I mean that, really. But I, I want us to focus in on the role of deacons and the beginning of the deacon ministry. And so, just to give you just a slight bit of background, in Acts chapter 6, leading up to Acts chapter 6, uh, Acts is the book that's written by Luke. It's really the companion volume to the Gospel of Luke. And so, where the Gospel of Luke ends with Christ's resurrection and ascension to the Father and promise to send the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts begins with the apostles waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to be sent. And so we see in the first volume all that Jesus was doing in his life and earthly ministry. And then in the second volume, we see all that Jesus continues to do through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the early church. And so kind of that, that's the background. And, and as, we, as we approach this specific passage, great things 
were happening. Marvelous things were happening in the life of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, the the number on that day of Pentecost grew to be about 3,000 souls added to the church, to the believers, okay? And then in Acts chapter 4, we we see that 5,000 became the number. And then by Acts chapter 5, we see the number had grown too great to count. Verse 14 of chapter 5 says, Believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. So multitudes were being added to the early church. Nothing like this had ever happened in the history of the world. The Holy Spirit was moving in the midst of Jerusalem, in the midst of those people at this particular time and using the disciples in order to proclaim this message of the gospel. And then it says in chapter 6, verse 1, while the disciples were increasing in number, look at what happened. A complaint arose, right? A complaint arose right in the midst of all of this increase and in, in multitudes being added to the church. A complaint arose. And it brought two threats to the unity of God's people. In fact, that's what often happens when a complaint arises. It brings, it threatens the unity of the body of Christ. And so the way the apostles and the church responded to the complaint was critical for the unity of the body. And so this is why we say this is the the birth of the deacon office. And so first, I I want you to see that the deacon ministry here comes and and arises out of a need. And and it's, it's serving to meet a need for the widows that are in the church who are in need of of daily distribution. And so one of the roles that we see of the deacons early on is they're handling the daily distribution of those needs that are going out to the congregation. And so the nature of the first threat was a complaint. I'm sure that you've never heard any complaints around here. And so we don't have to worry about the unity of Crosspoint being threatened, right? No, but there was a complaint that arose. Could you imagine? Multitudes of people. I mean, 10,000 maybe. I don't know what the number was that was added to the church by this time, but, but there was a significant number of people. And this was, a, this was a big deal. I mean, needs were being met. Food was going out and, and serving the widows within the congregation. And all of a sudden, someone's feelings have been hurt. Or they've not had their needs met, and they've seen this as an offense. If we think about the background of what's going on in the early church, we can understand some of the tensions that were probably there. I mean, you've got, you've got Hebrew Jews and widows, and you've got Hellenistic Jews. The Hebrew Jews were national, uh, still followed according to the, the patterns of Hebrew worship as they met in the synagogue. They still spoke the Hebrew language. But then you've also got the Hellenistic Jews, which were Jews that have kind of grown acclimated to the Greek culture. And so think about the differences in the, in the culture, in the background. When the church formed on the day of Pentecost, these two groups merged together. So there were language barriers. There were cultural barriers. There were differences in liturgy. They may even have have met in separate synagogues before the early church was formed. I mean, one group liked this song and the other group liked this song, right? Here's the beginning of worship wars. And so there were differences in in liturgy and differences in hymns and and differences in things that were happening in the midst of the worship. And so the complaint of unfair treatment arises. The solution 
that the apostles put forward to the congregation was choose seven men from among yourselves. Verses 2 and 3. Choose these seven men from among yourselves. Verse 3. And then he gives qualifications as to what these men are to be about. Good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. They identified the two needs among the people of God. First was the serving tables in verse 2. He says, so the twelve summoned the congregation, and they said it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So there's a need. Serve tables. And then secondly, also we see in verse 4, there's another need. But we will devote ourselves, the apostles say, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Both were important in the daily life of the congregation. So when they say it's not desirable for us, verse 2, literally they mean pleasing. It's not pleasing for us to neglect the word of God to serve tables. The apostles are saying it's not pleasing to God if we put the serving of tables before the serving of the word. Now, hear what they didn't mean. They didn't mean that there wasn't a desire to meet the needs of the people. In fact, until this point, it was the apostles who were doing so, who were meeting the needs. There was a system in place. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 34. Acts 4.34 says, For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed as each had need. And so there was a system in place, but here's what happened. The needs had outgrown their ability to adequately handle both. And so the issue that they were dealing with wasn't good versus bad. It was what's the greatest way we can serve the body of Christ. And so the wisdom of their decision allowed gifted men, see this, allowed gifted men to come alongside and to serve the church in a way that met the practical needs of the people and didn't compromise serving the word. There's an exchange of words here that I've already alluded to in, in chapter 6. The noun that's used in verse 1 for serving of food. It's the same root word of the verb that's used in verse 2 to describe serve tables. And then look in verse 4. But we would devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That word ministry in the Greek text, it is the same root word. It's the same noun that's used in verse 1, serve. And so here's what's happening. The apostles are saying, Choose these seven men who will come alongside and serve tables while we serve the word. Same, same word, same noun, same root word that's being used here. What's significant about that? The significance about that is seeing the gifting and the calling and serving in the capacity that we have been gifted and, and called and recognized by the church. Not one is more important than the other but simply one as being the the, the greatest way that we can serve and and another being the greatest way that that we can serve and the greatest way that we can serve. And, And to that point, I would say this is applicable across the board to the whole body of Christ. How has God gifted us to serve the body? How has God gifted us to be engaged in the mission 
that he's called the church to be in. How has God gifted you? What are the gifts, spiritual gifts God has given you? And how are you to employ those in serving amongst the body of Christ? This is the same noun that's used in Philippians 1.1. When Paul, as Mr. Al read earlier, when Paul speaks about the deacon office, he addressed the letter, right, to the elders and to the deacons. It's the same root word that's used in, in this text here. So generally speaking, the word deacon means servant. And so we see deacons rising to serve tables in a similar way that we see the apostles serving the word first and then serving tables. My prayer is that there would be men among the body of Cross Point, among the body of Christ here, who desire to serve tables. My prayer is that there would be men who, who see the office and role of deacon as meeting a tremendous need among the people of God, and that together with the elders, the current deacons, that they would become faithful servant leaders among the people of God. My prayer is that God would be uh, be prodding the hearts of, of men to, to step up to the plate and to lead their family as godly leaders. That God would be prodding the hearts of, of men to be faithful and, and committed in their walk with Christ. And not just to speak vocally about their faith, but to live their faith out. In fact, that's our prayer as elders and deacons. As we begin talking about the, the need to uh, to, to, to have this time of, of deacon selection. We, we know that there's a need amongst the body. We, we, we want to see men who are brought forth who desire to serve. And so our desire is that, that God would raise up some men who have such a desire to serve tables, have such a desire to wash the feet of others, who want to be part of serving the body of Christ and serving Christ in that way. Before we look at the character of deacon, I, I want to encourage you that, as I said a moment ago, this message is really, it's targeted toward deacons, but it's applicable to the congregation at large. These characteristics that we're about to talk about, they, they, they are God's desire for his people. God desires that we would all have a good reputation as we represent the name of Christ, Right? God desires that we would all be men and women of character and of integrity. So my hope is that we would see, first and foremost, how this plays out in the lives through these qualifications that are laid out in chapter 6 of Acts, how these are played out in the lives of the men that were selected. These Christ-like characteristics ought to be manifested in the life of every believer. Here's the key. By the power of the Holy Spirit in you. I'm not this morning, don't hear me that we're I'm preaching a message saying you've got to work up and do all of this in your own strength. That's that's not it. And so I want us to see the character and the role of deacon. In Acts chapter six, verse three, the early church selected seven men, and in selecting those seven men, they said, These are the men that we believe exemplify these characteristics. The first one was of good reputation. These men were to be of good reputation. What does it mean then to be of good reputation? You know, the verb literally means to bear witness, to be a martyr. It's where we get our word martyr from. 
And what it means, it, it, it means that one's deeds and, and, and life and conduct are lived in such a way that they point others to Christ. And so it means in our, in our business deals, in our work ethic, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our public life, we point others to Christ. You know, this deals with the everyday interaction that we have with people. As disciples of Christ, we are people who can be trusted. Our witness and the witness of the church, then, points others to Christ. And this goes beyond deacons. This goes to the body of Christ, every individual believer, right? Our lives point others to Christ. I, Christ has saved us, that we would be stewards of the manifold grace of God, that we would shine the light of Christ to others as we walk through this world, that we would be transforming agents by the grace of God in the lives of other men and women, boys and girls. The second qualification that he lists here in Acts chapter 6 is to be full of the Spirit. They would be men of good reputation. They would be full of the Spirit. There's no greater joy in the life of a believer to be walking in step with the Spirit, to be full of the Spirit. Literally, being full of the Spirit means being under complete control of the Holy Spirit so that we are, we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit's counsel, that we are following His leading, that as we read the Word of God, it's the Holy Spirit giving us eyes to see and understand the truth of Scripture. And then giving us the wisdom, as we'll see in a moment, to apply it to life. I think today many Christians are living void of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Thinking they've got to do this on their own strength. Not not coming to the Lord saying, God, fill me with your spirit. Teach me how to hear from you today. Lead me and direct me in each step along the way. Not only are they full of the spirit, but we are to be full of wisdom Being full of the Spirit and being full of wisdom means having the Holy Spirit given insight into God's Word to take the Word and apply it to our lives. Why would this all be important for these early disciples, for these early deacons? Because it involves exercising good judgment in spiritual and practical matters. They need to be men who are filled with the Spirit and wisdom so that they would know how to distribute those things which were needed. They need to be men full of wisdom. In Acts chapter 6, verse 10, Stephen modeled being full of wisdom when they were unable to cope, it says, with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. In Luke chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus tells the disciples, For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. And in 1 Corinthians 2.16, the Apostle Paul reminds us, We have the mind of Christ, those who are believers. And so there's a need to be full of wisdom and full of the Spirit. Here's why. So that the role of the deacon can be exercised well 
He said, choose those whom we may put in charge of this task, right? Verse 3, there was a responsibility. There was a role that needed to to be uh, fleshed out. There was a need among the congregation, and these men were being raised up to meet that need. It needs to be said that the work of deacon isn't a fleshly activity. It's not fleshly. It's a spiritual work. The work of meeting and caring for the needs of the church, it's a spiritual work. Don't miss that. It's not just a physical work. It's, it's spiritual. And it involves being full of the Spirit and walking by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, taking God's Word and by the Holy Spirit's illumination, applying practically God's Word into daily life. That's what these men were being charged to do. And so these character qualifications speak to the need of Godly, reliable men who have an impeccable character, not a perfect character, but one that is tested and one that stands against the test, one where they are known throughout the community, throughout their circles of influence. They're known as men who can be trusted. They're known as men who are wise. They are known as men who are full of the Spirit. And so it goes for each one who would serve in the office of deacon, even here at Crosspoint. I want to quickly turn your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, that we would see these character qualifications continued. And Paul gives Timothy a list of character qualifications. And in this list, there are five that I wanted to point out this morning. The first one in verse 8, he says, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity. You know, we've already spoken really to this one. They're men of good reputation and are worthy of respect. They, they must be men who are integral and self-controlled and live a consistent witness since they're charged with caring for the weak among God's people. But secondly, they, they, they must have integrity of speech. Get this, he says, not double-tongued, right? That means they don't go and say one thing to somebody over here and say something completely opposite to someone over here in order to pacify both sides. No, it means speaking truthfully. Our words have meaning and our words have weight. It means being intentional like Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount when he preached to the disciples, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Deacon must be a man of his word. But so must all believers, men and women, we must be men and women of our word. People must be able to trust the word of the the believer. Our our words must be truthful, representing Christ. We must recognize that even, we we don't even speak an idle word, a neutral word. Words have weight and they matter, they have meaning. And we must be careful with what we allow to come out of our mouth. Thirdly, the deacon must not be addicted to much wine, it says. In other words, what he's saying here is a drunkard isn't qualified to serve as a deacon. A person who's in a position of trust over others can't have a drinking problem. And Scripture warns us of the potential danger of strong drink. So the warning here is an admonition to guard one's use of alcohol. Hear that. Paul's not using words of absolute prohibition against alcohol. But it's one of caution to remain guarded and exercise self-control for the glory of God. The deacon 
mustn't be one who abuses alcohol because it would damage his testimony and work for God. He must guard this area of his life. Then not greedy for dishonest gain. Not greedy for money or financial gain. Consider, Consider Judas. Keeper of the money box among the disciples. John tells us, as we saw a few weeks ago, he wasn't concerned for the poor, but he was a thief as the one who kept the money box for the band of disciples. Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And this is another area, again, that must be guarded in our lives. Fifthly, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. You know what this says? It says our life and our doctrine must match. The things we speak must be the things that we live. Having a clear conscience before the Lord means that I'm walking in obedience to Christ. It means as the Holy Spirit convicts me in my life, there's nothing left on the table. I'm confessing that. I'm battling through that. I'm working so that I'm not encumbered and slowed down by sin that would entangle me. It doesn't mean perfection. But it does mean that we live with our consciences before the Lord as clear so that when sin is brought to mind, we confess that and repent over it so that we might not quench the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, but that we would walk by the Spirit Holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, then, the mystery is this. It is a revealed secret for all those who are in Christ. The mystery of the faith is the revealed secret, and the deacon speaks God's truth made known to man through the revelation of Christ by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Because God in Christ has revealed Himself and revealed His redemptive plan. So there's no mystery here. Now there are certain things about the faith that are mysterious that we just won't understand until we get to heaven, right? But there's no mystery in that sense in the faith. This is that which has been revealed to us in the revelation of Christ and His redemptive plan. So the deacon is a man who holds to that faith firmly. Holds to the mystery of the faith firmly. He has a strong faith and walk with Christ. So the life and the doctrine must match. We must live consistently and obediently. You know, this involves personal and intentional time with the Lord. Prayer and study and meditation upon God's word. It's the only way that we grow as disciples of Christ, isn't it? We must seek to know the Lord and to know him by his word. And when we do this, get, it, get this, it, it informs our public work of serving tables within the church. And not only does it inform our public work, it informs our private work of leading in our homes. That's significant. Because the next qualification or characteristic we see is the family of the deacon. And that's First Timothy Chapter 3, verse 12, it says deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children in their own households. Literally, the word here is a one-woman man. 
There's been much debate, much scholarship over what this text is actually saying. And so without getting into the details and, and bogging down in all of the details of what's been put forth out there, I want to submit to you that a one woman man means this. As a proper rendering of the phrase, it, it speaks to deacons, and I would say, if married, not speaking that they have to be married, but if married, they must be faithful and true to one woman. Here's what's happening. Paul is guarding against deviation from faithful, monogamous marriage. The deacon must be true to one woman. It doesn't exclude men who are in a second marriage. Instead, it it calls us to examine the character of a man and note his fidelity in his current marriage. The New American Standard, unfortunately, adds the word only, which isn't there in the Greek text. The ESV renders it, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. It wasn't uncommon in Paul's day for a man to be married to one woman but have a girlfriend or have a mistress or, or be flirtatious with other women. I would argue that it isn't uncommon in our day today either. Things haven't changed much. Paul is concerned. He's concerned with the interaction between a man and a woman, particularly how married men interact with their wives as distinctly different from how they would interact with another woman. I think this statement requires a case-by-case examination into the character and the moral fabric of a man's life. The question that should be asked is, what kind of relationship does the candidate for the office of deacon have with his wife or other women? The answer should be he would have an exclusive relationship with his wife. That's above reproach. He should exemplify faithful, monogamous marriage. And the calling here is for men to be faithful in their lives, in their marriages, and in leading their families. And so the family of the deacon is the man is seen as a a one woman man. He's also seen as good managers of their children and of their own households. The word good, good managers, it, it means well and, and properly and excellently, things which are done well and properly and excellently. It means he must supervise his family well. He must be a responsible Christian father and, and a household manager. He's one who must provide his family with the finances or financially provide for them and emotionally and spiritually provide for them. His children must submit to his leadership. You know, it means he sees his primary vocation in life. Get this. Not at the place where he receives the check from, but he sees his primary vocation in life in the home, in raising the kids, in loving his wife, in being a faithful steward of the gifts that have been given to him in his marriage and in his family, and in exercising headship in a biblical way. 
He sees to the discipline and the spiritual training of his children. And in so doing, he works to disciple them in Christ. To see them grow up and flourish as converts to the faith. And all the while praying and depending upon God's grace to see that this happens. You know, this doesn't put forth a hopeless expectation for perfect homes or for perfect children. Instead, it provides us really a biblical framework to see how deacons are to serve. It gives us the goal to aspire to as men of faith, even as as women of faith. For if they're to manage their household well and manage the household of God, they first must manage their own household well. And so in Acts chapter 6, I think it's interesting to note, we kind of go back to where we began back in Acts chapter 6. It's interesting to note that when the ministry of the word was threatened, the solution was, deacons, choose seven men from among yourselves to serve the body, to meet these needs, to protect the unity of the body. And when the ministry of the word was protected, Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says, the result was, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And I think it speaks in this way to us this morning as a body of Christ. God's design for health and unity in the body of Christ calls for deacons who serve well. In church, the challenge this morning that we have over the next couple of weeks is to pray through who those men are within the congregation of Crosspoint and to select who those men would be. We, we see the prescription laid out here in Acts chapter 6 that we would select these men from among ourselves. And, and so this is the part where, where the, the corporate body, where the church polity, congregational polity, the congregation is selecting these men from among itself who would serve in this role. Men, is this, is this something God is working in your heart on? Your desire here? Is it your desire to to have this kind of character? To lead your family in in this way? Oh, I pray that it is. I pray, church family, that it is. So this morning, I want to challenge you in this particular way. Would you pray for the life of the church, for the unity of the church, for the sake of the health of Crosspoint as the body of Christ? Would you pray about who those men would be In your worship folder, there's a paper on one side. It's stapled together. On one side, it's got the list of the men within Crosspoint who are are able to serve Crosspoint in this way. Would you pray through those men and pray through the qualifications as you read through the passages and even reflect upon the text this morning? Would you pray through who over the next couple of weeks would be one or two or three, maybe, that you would, you would say, I, I think this man meets these qualifications. I nominate him. I want to encourage you to do that. And then maybe beyond that, if the Lord has challenged you this morning and spoken to you specifically in a, in a way of encouragement or, or call to repentance, I, I want to 
I want to encourage you to, to be obedient and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and repent of any particular sin that would be in your life. Turn that over to Christ. Let me pray. And then we'll sing and worship the Lord together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and for the unique time that we are in as a church. Lord, we pray for those men whom you would be leading to and calling out to serve as deacons here at Crosspoint. And, and we entrust the process to you where, Lord, we would seek who those men would be. We pray, God, that you would continue to do a work in our own hearts and our own lives as we seek to follow you and walk obediently after you. Lord, may you be exalted today in our midst as we worship you and sing of your praise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?